Hello, and welcome to New Matters, the SLAS podcast. My name is Mike Tarselli, and I'm SLAS's scientific director. Around here, we're celebrating a milestone. We're turning 10 years old as a society. So with us today is an esteemed guest, Richard Eglin. Richard, could you please introduce yourself and tell us about your involvement with SLAS? Uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks for the, the call, Mike, and a pleasure to be on, on the, the podcast. Um, as Mike said, uh, R- Richard Eglin here. I've been a member of SLAS since its inception. And then for a decade or so before that, I was an active member of a precursor society, uh, SBS, uh, where I worked on the board as well as worked in various meetings and on the education committee as well. So from my perspective, a long-term involvement both in precursor societies, but certainly very active in SLES over the last decade or more, and, uh, and a pleasure to be on the call today. Thank you. So tell me about what you did while you were involved with both with SBS and SLAS. What was your career at that time? How did you grow and change um, throughout your involvement with SLAS? Uh, Yeah, initially, my career was working with a large pharmaceutical company where I was head of a neuroscience group. And as part of neuroscience at that time, there was a lot of automation and high throughput screening. And of course, the SBS and subsequently the SLAS were a very active society in terms of automation, in terms of drug discovery. I then moved deeper into the technology area where I was working uh, more broadly at uh, the large pharmaceutical company. And then left that company, I went to be a founder member of a smaller company developing reagents for automated drug discovery. Uh, That was DiscoverX Corporation. And for me, um, membership of SLS became even more pivotal, A, because uh, the company was a presenter at the various meetings, but also because many of our customers were there, as well as it was a chance to see the changes and the leading edges of the technology. Um, I stayed in the technology industry since from then, working at larger companies such as Perkin Elmer and Corning Life Sciences, where I was active both as a general manager and president of the various divisions of those companies. And they had um, products, they had customers that were very much, again, in the area of SLAS, from reagents to automation to instrument detection systems. Uh, now I'm retired, uh, semi-retired, I guess, uh, from Corning. I'm now active as a consultant and advisor in the technology space for a range of organizations from private equity to smaller biotechs as well. And uh, currently, the SLS is still very relevant of that, of course, because it helps me keep on the leading edge of the science. Um, A point I'd like to mention is it's not just about technology. Um, I find the science content at the SLS meetings to be extremely strong. And certainly, attendance at the meetings keeps me very much um, uh, up to speed, I guess, in terms of breaking science and sort of an objective viewpoint on how the new science has been developed and used in all areas of life sciences, including diagnostics, as well as drug discovery. So, Well, thank you very much. And, and thank you for our wonderful compliment on the science. I, I wish I could take credit, but it's really our uh, fleet of amazing esteemed volunteers who helped me do that. Um, 
what I would ask you is, it seems like there was a real inflection point in your career and your involvement with SLAS in which you switched from being a content expert or, or deep person into neuroscience and flipped to being a technology provider and then needing to um, acquire customers to meet people to stay on the ahead of technology. Um, can you speak to that transition? Do you think that happens in a lot of people's careers in this space? Or do you think you are unique in that way? I, I don't think I'm unique. I think it's a fairly common transition. Um, one thing that's always attracted me about life sciences is that you can move from the technology side into the user side, whether it's drug discovery or diagnostics or any other areas uh, that will use sort of um, life science technology and, and go back and forwards. And I think that's now the norm rather than the exception. Um, I know we may talk later on about uh, for young people coming into SLAS, but uh, I would certainly say that one of the benefits of SLAS is that it, it straddles both of those sides of the industry and you can see and maintain your network irrespective of whether you started in drug discovery, moved into the technology side or vice versa as well. So for that reason, the membership of SLAS has been a very strong counterpoint, if you like, through most phases of my career there. Tell me a little bit about what shocked you the most. In the past 10 years, there's obviously been changes in the science, in the technology, in the companies and the attendees of all of our events. Um, what's been the biggest change or shock to you in the past decade? Um, well, I think there's been a couple of things. One, obviously, is the rapid advances in terms of the science and how fast that's gone and how what was maybe a poster or a single talk in one meeting suddenly comes up to be a whole session track in the next two or three meetings. Um, and and, and that, that, that A shows, I think, the society's got its finger on the pulse, but B, I think it shows how fast it, it can move in terms of life sciences. Um, but the second point is maybe the turnover of the various organizations being involved in this. And that's certainly true in terms of the drug discovery industry or the diagnostics industry, where massive consolidation has meant that many of the names at the meeting even 10 years ago were no longer there. They're parts of other companies. But also on the technology side, I was looking at some of the companies on the exhibition hall, say in 2011, and many of them are no longer there. They're either part of larger companies or they've been replaced by very fast-growing startup companies who are now significant companies in their own right. So both sides, to me, are, are both uh, sort of two sides of the same coin, if you like, that things are moving very, very quickly. And it's important for a society like SLAS to keep up pace with those changes there. So. Yeah, that's a very fast turnover cycle, right? Five to 10 years and whoever's the market leader may no longer exist or be on our floor. That's, that's crazy. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, tell me about, um, now comes the very fraught part of this discussion, which is tell me about 10 years out from now. So think about being here in 2030. What do you think is going to change? Um, we'd love to hear your predictions. What fields do you think are going to take the lead? What companies are going to emerge? Will we really be all data first? Um, or will another technology come to supplant that? Um, I'm curious to hear you predict out into the future for us. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, to give you a flippant answer, I hope 10 years from now, I'm still going to be here active in the society. But, but <laughs> I hope maybe, so too. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, I think on the science side, um, clearly there is a trend of um, more artificial intelligence and more computing power. I certainly saw a lot of that come to the fore in San Diego this year. 
it's not exactly routine at the moment, but it's getting there. And I think that's the ability not just to handle large data sets that, of course, are generated by all the automation systems, but it's the ability to interpret them and create new findings. Um, I was struck, for example, how even the kind of deep learning is being used in terms of image analysis, such that the accuracy of technology like that is starting to almost obviate the need for labeling reagents in terms of interrogating cell biology. Mm-hmm. And if the feeling is, if, and the feeling is if that field is in its early days, imagine what that field is going to be like 10 years from now as well. There. Um, miniaturization will undoubtedly continue. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if there is such a thing as an SLAS, SBS plate format in the classic 96384 wells, or whether it's going to be all microfluidic type-based systems Mm -hmm. as well there and I think um, probably you know it's tried to say it but I think a lot of healthcare diagnostics as well as drug discovery is going to go very very personal very very quickly and how can the SLAS sort of stay a bridge of that where you're dealing less with patient populations and you're dealing more of individual treatments for individual patients for their diseases there. So um, it's going to, and the speed with which we alluded to in the previous comments, that is probably going to bring that sooner than we thought. Um, it's already starting to arrive, I think. There, so. Right. I would say that, um, d- thank you for queuing up that softball for me. <laughs> uh, SLAS has adapted a little bit in the past year in that we've instituted a personalized medicine track at both of our international mm-hmm. conferences. And we also oh. have just changed over a track to omics. Everything omics, metabolomics, transcriptomics, yeah. genomics. So we're trying to stay ahead of that cresting wave as you've described it. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's another feature to it, Mike, which maybe is worth pointing, is that if you look at a general trend on the instrumentation side, a lot of it's gone from highly sophisticated instruments where you need in-depth training and they undertaken in terms of their use in a specialist lab. Mm-hmm. And they've then been reduced to practice. So these instruments go out onto the benchtop and they can be done by the naive user. And that's, that to me is a, a practice I think is going to continue. That today's complex technology will be tomorrow's very simple technology that could be handled by almost everybody. And yeah, it is so, amazing to think um, of a collab robotic system being reduced to the practice of a gas station pump or an ATM. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And many instruments, you know, I remember, I don't know, let's take mass spectrometry, you know, that used to be a very specialized field, where it's done in a specialized lab. Now there are benchtop mass specs that are very mm-hmm. simple to operate and can give you extremely exquisitely sensitive data. That's kind of just another example there. Yeah, yeah. Walk up garage mass spec. <laughs> and then very good ones too. <laughs> oh my. All right. Um, and then I would love you to get to the part which I, I know you are excited about, which is to say, what would you tell an early career professional or a student especially who's coming into this space, this interface between laboratory technology and laboratory automation, um, dealing with this big data, dealing with this change into personalized medicine and automation and with, through AI? What would you tell them? How, how should they train? Uh, what career should they expect? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think you, you've got to think less, particularly if you're starting out your scientific career, as thinking that you're going to be a specialist in a particular field and that will be your speciality for the rest of your career. Uh, flexibility is important. We've already talk, talked about the change of complex to simple sort of technology adoption, and I think that will continue. So therefore, I think the, the 
young scientists going through their career need to be highly flexible to adopt new technologies as well. And I think they're going to change in different fields. They may at one stage be a drug discoverer, another stage they may be an AI user, for example. They may be a technology discoverer, or they may be working on, on point-of-care type devices out in the diagnostic field. Um, so I think flexibility is key. Now, to be flexible, I think you've got to continue to stay on the leaning edge, understand the trends, understand the directions, and understand what's required in terms of employers bringing people in with various skill sets. Um, and I think SLS can start to provide that not just in terms of the formal education side, but also in terms of the network of people who are already involved. Um, another area may, maybe maybe you might to talk about is how young folks can get involved in SLAS, and in fact, why should they get involved in SLAS? And, uh, Please, I would love to I, hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly encourage that. I mean, I, I've always done it at various levels, uh, culminating in the board positions and the president positions, but, but the... Um, that the society is only as good as the people kind of involved in it and volunteering for it. And and I think that, that, that a lot of that requires people to commit some of their time uh, to, to make it their society and, and sort of take it in the direction that they feel it, it should be going. I mean, in other words, they can help shape the future of SLAS. So I know it's very open to people stepping up into various volunteer positions the sort of time commitment which can be commensurate to how much time they've got available there. So I would encourage folks to do that. The rebound effect on young scientists involving is that they will build up a network um, par excellence. You will meet people that will be in your network for years, as I can personally attest, and that's going to be very helpful wherever they go in their career there. That's a fantastic advice and we do appreciate it. Uh, need to stay flexible and need to get engaged and shape the society the way you want. Uh, Richard, any closing thoughts you'd like to offer on this uh, occasion of our 10th birthday? Well, obviously, congratulations. Um, it, it's a terrific milestone. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to folks in the office, Mike, such as yourself and all the team there. I think the meetings I always go to are absolutely terrifically well run. So kudos to you guys as well. And I like the direction it's going in. And I like uh, a lot of the uh, new things that are coming through. I think they're very, very positive and very exciting for the future, which is probably where we need to be if all of this exciting technology and science is going to start to arrive as well, Mike. We need to be ahead of the game, I think, there. So, yeah. Thank you very kindly, Richard. And thank you for being um, our, our guest here, our esteemed, honored guest. Thank you for your continued involvement in the society. And I look forward to seeing you at all of our future events. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate you talking. Thank you. Take care. Bye.